Well, you can learn a lot about a person, like, as I said, by what they celebrate. You can learn a lot about a person, um, about, about what they value by what they celebrate, right? Um, a, a couple of weeks ago uh, was the start, well, about a week and a half ago, was the start of the um, National Football League season. I don't know if any of you um, follow football, watch football. Um, I, I'll watch it every once in a while. I'm not, I don't think I would be classed a fanatic, um, but I do, I do enjoy the game. But the Seahawks started their season on a Thursday night, and I watched a little bit of that, and I, and I saw them um, unfurl this flag that said, Seattle Seahawks 2013 Super Bowl champions, world champions, or whatever it said. And then... They raised up this big old giant flag at the end of the stadium that had a giant 12 on it. And, and those of you, you know, those of us who live in the Northwest, we know what that means, right? It's the 12th man. And everyone's celebrating. And, and if you're on social media, everyone's updating their little pictures. And, and there's a little Seahawks symbol or there's a little number 12. And, and they've got their flags flying out in front of their houses. And they've got the little decals on their cars, right? And then football Fridays or football jersey Fridays or whatever it is, and some people will wear their college, you know, teams, and others will wear their, you know, Seahawks gear, and you can, you see that all around us, right? And we're celebrating that. We, I say that, I say we very loosely, but we as a people in the Northwest are celebrating the Seattle Seahawks, the world champions, right? It's exciting, but you can see that that's what we value. You see, when we celebrate those things, we value those things. We make a big deal out of them. They're important to us. And we know that when you, when you run across somebody like that, you know that they're a fan. You know where they stand, right? Well, this morning, as we're continuing our message, um, our series in uh, 1 Timothy, the series is the gospel in the household of faith. We're learning about, learning about what the gospel is supposed to be for God's people. What's the, what's the gospel all about for the church? What is it that we're supposed to believe and, and how are we supposed to live and worship in accordance with the gospel? So we're learning that. Last week we learned that, that Paul, in, in writing to Timothy, writing this letter almost 2,000 years ago, wrote to Timothy urging him to confront false teaching. There were people coming into the church, either within or without, and saying, you need to believe this. This is true. You need to practice this. And he said to him, you need to guard the gospel. Timothy, guard the gospel. That was what last week's message was about. And this gospel we found as in the last, very last verse, verse 11 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, we saw that that gospel had been entrusted to Paul. Paul had received that message and he was supposed to keep it. And he was supposed to live by it and he was supposed to teach it. So here we are, 1 Timothy 1, and I'm going to read for you um, verses 12 through 20. And here's what Paul wrote. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, 
and a persecutor and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord, of our Lord, overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then he said, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Then he says this, To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. By, by swerving from this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. That is our message this morning. Paul, Paul starts out with this. He says, in effect, to us, that we celebrate the gospel by remembering our calling. We celebrate the gospel by remembering our calling. Look, what, look at verse 12 with me in your, in your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, um, there should be some in the pews or you can grab one on the table in the back. What does he say? He says, I thank him who has given me strength. He thanks Jesus. Jesus who has given him strength because he judged me faithful, appointing me to, to his service. Paul is, Paul's gratitude to Jesus is based on him being called, called by God to be a servant, called to be a servant of Jesus. And then Paul describes, look how he describes Jesus. Jesus is the one who has given him strength. Strength is the divine empowerment, the divine empowerment that comes from God alone. That's how he's, that's how he's talking about that. This, the word strength is, is oftentimes translated the root of it is translated as power. Power. God has given him power to do the work that he's called him to do. In, in, second, in second Peter 1 Peter 1.3, we see this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The only strength, the only strength that counts for anything is the strength that comes through Jesus in the gospel. You know, you may be a, a, a strong-willed person. You may be a physically strong person. You may have a strong mind. You may have strength or power in wealth or property or position. But all of that counts for nothing in light of Jesus and his gospel. The only thing, the only strength that counts is the strength that comes through Jesus and the gospel. If you are a believer, that's it. That's where we go for power. That's where we go for strength. It's easy, to, it's easy to veer off course, isn't it? It's easy to think, I got this covered. I, I can do this. Well, Paul, look what, what he says about, about this. He says that, that Jesus judged him faithful. Paul was judged faithful, though, not on his own merit. Not that God looked at him and said, you know what? Paul's got a lot of potential here. I think I can, I think I can get a lot out of this guy. And that's usually how we think. 
That's usually how we look at one another. We go, well, that person has potential. That person I think I can depend on. God looks at somebody and says, you know what? Inside that person is a good heart. Somebody that I can use. He, outside, he's got a lot of problems. But I can change that. I can, I can work in his heart. And I can, I can do something with him. But God bases our potential, or, or excuse me, he, he judged Paul faithful based on God's ab- his own ability to accomplish his plans through Paul. He, sa- he said, I can accomplish my plans through a, man, through a man like this. I can bring glory to myself by using a guy who we're going to see in a moment was really pretty jacked up. He had some issues. He had some problems. But God took him and transformed him and used him for his purposes. That's where we learn that what, what, um, what Paul writes in Philippians 2.13 is very true. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We think, I've done this. I've accomplished this. Look at my resume. And in reality, it is God who has worked in us. And he, is the one, he has been the one who's done the work. And he does it for his purposes, for his kingdom, or we're doing it all for ourselves. There's only one, one way or the other. When we submit ourselves to God, like Paul did, and said, okay, God, you're appointing me to his service, I'll do it. I'll obey. And when we do that, we find that God is the one doing all of the work through us. Because our calling is based on nothing in us. Nothing in us, but only on what God can accomplish through us. That is our calling, what God can accomplish through us. I was talking with a friend um, this week who's going through a transition, and, <laughs> and this, my friend was saying, you know, I feel so out of control. Like, nothing, I, I don't have control of this, I don't have control of that. It's just everything's so up in the air. And I'm like, yeah, I can identify with you. I can identify with that. And saying, I said, you know, that's, that's just such a beautiful place to be. Because when you don't have control, who are you going to count on? Who are you going to rely on? You're going to rely on Jesus. You're going to rely on the strength that comes from Him. And He is going to work through you. And He is the one who's going to give you strength to accomplish His purposes. It's an awesome, awesome place to be. I wonder if we should consider what are we afraid of losing? If, if, if this changed in our life, how would that affect us? How much would we freak out? Oh no, I can't control this anymore. And if that was gone, what would we rely on? You can all, I'm sure you can probably all think of a new, numerous things that, oh my goodness, if this fell through, what would I do? Well, you would depend on the strength that comes through Jesus. And so maybe even now we have to go, okay, how can I let go of this now and let God be my strength? Let God, let Jesus be the only strength in our life. Well, Paul is celebrating the gospel here, celebrating it by remembering his calling. And that's the same thing we do. We remember our calling. God has called us to walk with him. God has called us to be his children. We celebrate that. We also celebrate the gospel by recognizing the grace of Jesus. We celebrate the gospel by recognizing the grace of Jesus. Look what Paul 
does here. Immediately, he says, now look, look, look. It wasn't because I was all that great. When God called me, it wasn't because I had it all together. It wasn't because I had everything figured out. Look at what I was. He says I was a blasphemer. Uh, this, this biblical word for blasphemy, it really speaks directly to um, this idea of speaking God's name in vain. Speaking God's name with disrespect or discredit. We say God's name, and we, we as believers, then we translate to that to Jesus' name, saying Jesus' name with disrespect or crediting something to Jesus that shouldn't be credited to. But specifically for, for Paul, it manifested itself like this. He denied Christ and his work. Paul had spent his adult life fighting against Jesus and against his church, saying, these people are believing in this Jesus of Nazareth, and they claim that he died and rose from the dead. I don't believe it. I'm going to speak against it. I'm going to work against it. He was a blasphemer. And that led to him being a persecutor. He simply persecuted the church. Remember the story from Acts, how he, he was going from house to house and from city to city, and he would go on these short little missions, and he would arrest as many Christians as he could, throw them into jail, kick them out of their synagogue, take away their, their rights that they had within their community. Many of them, some of them, were even being put to death. And he was approving of it. And look what he says. He was an insolent opponent. Literally violent. Literally, the, the word is, he was a violent person. This New Testament scholar, um, Philip Towner, I know you want to write his name down so you can look him up and read some of his books. But he describes, he describes this kind of, this anger, this violence, this insolence, as, as anger and pride that often fills the void caused by fear and insecurity and produces the worst acts of behavior. The worst acts of behavior. And that's exactly how Paul described himself. That was the kind of life he lived. So violent, so anger, so full of pride. Probably because of fear. Probably because of his own insecurity. And it produced the worst kinds of behavior in his life. We're reminded of this when uh, this is consistent with Paul's message of the gospel when he says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The gospel, Paul is trying to point out to Timothy and to the rest of the church that Timothy was serving, the gospel includes the truth that we are sinners in need of a Savior. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. Any gospel, let me just put this out, any gospel that redefines sin as something other than offensive to our holy God is a false gospel. Any kind of gospel that says, your sin is okay, don't worry about it. You know, it's just, don't, you know, no, no worries, just come on, you know, you're good to go, We're, everyone's good, just try to live a good life. Um, you're, you're, you're okay. Any, any gospel that does not acknowledge on a daily basis that we are fallen, that we are sinners, and that we are saved by the grace of Jesus, that we need a Savior, is not the whole gospel. It may be part of the story, but it's not the whole gospel. 
And that's what Paul is trying to explain here. And remember last week, he gave that long list of, look, this is what the law is for. It's to point out our disobedience, uh, how we're ungodly and sinners, unholy and profane and, and murderers and sexually immoral, etc., etc. He makes that long list and then he adds these three to his own list and says, look, I'm a sinner too. We are all sinners. We're all messed up. And that, that is part of our gospel message. As much as it is painful to express it, it's part of our message. And it's not the only message, but it's part of it. Paul used several terms, though, to, to describe the grace that he received because that is the, that is the part that we, we long for, right? We acknowledge, yes, we are messed up. We are sinners. We need a Savior. What are we going to do about it? And Paul says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. It just bubbled over. It just came out. It's crazy. I got more than I needed. When you got an overflowing cup of water or whatever it might be, you got more than you need, more than you can hold, right? And that was what was going on for Paul. It was like, I got more grace than I could handle. He says, before that, he says, I, I received mercy. Mercy is God's initiative in saving his people. He's saying, God is saying, I'm stepping in and I'm doing something for that person, for you, that you can't, you don't, you don't either deserve nor you're even capable of doing on your own. Mercy. We're receiving mercy for our sin. We deserve judgment from God. He is a holy and perfect God and we deserve to be punished but he gives us mercy instead. And then he gives us grace. He says the grace overflowed. This is his intention towards humanity. It's, God, it's Christ's saving work. It's a gift from God. It's, it's more than we, we deserve. And then he says, look at it. Look what, it, uh, hap- what happened in him. It, the grace overflowed for me with the faith and love. With the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Faith it, is is really all about that, that vertical relationship that we have with God. God gives faith to those who come to Him in Christ. And that, that vertical relationship with God, we'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a moment, is very important. And, and, and then He says love, He says that love is, and we can kind of define that as the, the horizontal outworking of our faith. It's, it's what faith does in response to other people. Love is not, it's, and this is not a new thing here. Remember we saw this in, uh, our, really our, our key verse of this whole, of this whole letter. First um, Timothy 1.5 The aim of our charge is love. The aim of our confronting of the false teaching. The aim of our guarding the gospel. The aim of our celebration of the gospel is that we will have love. To one another. We will show love to each other. And then he says, in regards to this grace, I'm reminded of, of Paul, uh, what he said to the Ephesians. He said, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. See, when the grace of God comes on us, we are able to have a relationship with God that we could never have alone without his grace. We are able to love other people. In ways that we could never love without the grace of Jesus. But look what he said. 
no, no, I wanted to address this one little phrase. He said that I, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. He was ignorant of God's gospel. He, he had unbelief in his heart. And he says, that's why I received mercy. Paul, I, I want us to make, make sure, though, that we don't look at that and we go, hmm, Paul's ignorance was an excuse for his sin. I, I don't want us to say that. And, nor should we say that his ignorance was a reason for him to be ex expecting of mercy. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know that was the law. I didn't know that was the rule. Oh, okay, so you're, you're okay. No, no worries. Paul doesn't excuse his ignorance. Paul doesn't excuse his unbelief. But what he does do is point out that in contrast to his ignorance and unbelief prior to his salvation, he's talking about teachers who are teaching false things. They are leading believers to reject the gospel, but they're claiming to be believers. They're claiming to be good. They're claiming to know. They're claiming to believe but yet they're rejecting the gospel that gives them their only hope of salvation. They're rejecting God and his ways. So what, is Paul, what does Paul say about that? Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That little phrase is going to come back. We're going to see it two more times. Um, we're going to see it two more times in this letter. And when he says that, Paul is making a, po a point about what he's, what he's been saying. Either, either what he said prior to or what he said direct is what he's going to say directly after. And he's saying, this statement, you need to accept it. This is, this is true. This is a, authoritative. Embrace it. Act on it. And what does he say? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Whoa. There we go. That's the gospel, that's a, that's a gospel statement right there. So we're wondering, prior, prior to that, how did Paul receive mercy in his ignorance and unbelief? How did he re why did he receive grace? I'll tell you why. It's because of Jesus. Because Jesus came. Jesus, he came literally. He came historically. He lived and died on this earth. He lived among us. He took on our humanity. He became just like us. And he lived a perfect sinless life because he knows that we cannot live that sinless life. And he died in our place so that we wouldn't have to die. That's what it says when he came to save sinners. That was his mission. His mission was to bring salvation to everyone who is far from God. Paul says this in Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, <clears throat> Christ died for us. That is the message. That is how we have grace. We don't get grace just because we say, oh yeah, I, I messed up. Okay, I messed up. I'm sorry. I, you know, I keep, I did this, I did that. We only get grace because of Jesus. Because of what he has done. Salvation is based only on the grace of God through faith in Jesus. Not on anything that we have done or even anything that we have failed to do. It's the grace of God through faith in Jesus. And that's what Paul has been trying to say. He's trying to say this because there are people teaching a different gospel, saying that 
you don't need the grace of Jesus. Or saying that Jesus was just a great example for us. Or saying that Jesus didn't actually take our sins on, on him. He didn't actually die a, a, a substitute as a substitute for us. He died as just a good example of what we should do if we're going to follow God. We should be willing to die too. And maybe, and that, that is true. He is an example for us. But quite frankly, if, if we say anything less than Jesus died in our place for our sins, we're missing the gospel. And that's what Paul is trying to say to Timothy. That's what he's trying to say to us. You know, I, uh, I often say to our girls, when, um, oh, you know, when they might, maybe they'll get in trouble. Sometimes, sometimes my girls will get in trouble. Uh, I, don't, I know that never happens to any of your children. None of your children ever do anything wrong. They're never getting into trouble. <clears throat> but sometimes my girls will. And so I'll, I'll dime them out here. But we have to remind our girls that even when, well, there is a punishment for it, there are consequences for your actions, we have to remind them over and over again, nothing you do, nothing you do will make me love you less. Nothing you do will make me love you more. And that, that, may, that may not be totally true because I'm a sinful father. You know, we do the best we can. But we want them to know that that's the way God loves us. That's the way God loves us. Because when we are in Christ, He looks, us at, looks at us and He sees Christ. He sees Jesus. And He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is, is big enough. We celebrate the gospel by, by holding, what, what is it? What is it? We, by recognizing the grace. Of Jesus. We also celebrate the gospel by bearing faithful witness. By bearing faithful witness. He goes on, he says, what's, again, what's, what's another reason? The, the second reason for, for Paul receiving mercy was that, was so that Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul's, his mission and his work was to spread the gospel, to tell people about Jesus. Paul, Paul then became an illustration of salvation, an illustration of salvation for all those who would believe in Jesus. He, his, example, his example, Paul's example, was basically produced these three truths. Um, I think you have those in your notes, and I, I, they're really important. And I would make sure you write them down, put a star next to them, circle them, do whatever you got to do. His example produced these three truths. One, that Jesus can save anyone. If Jesus can save Paul, who declared himself the foremost, which means the first, the number one, the greatest sinner, if Paul could save him, Jesus can save anyone. Jesus can save anyone. Number two is that salvation is by faith. It's not by work. It's not by something that we can do. Salvation is by faith in Jesus, and that leads directly to number three related to it is that our faith is only in Jesus. It's in what he does and who he is. That's where our faith is. So we don't have faith that everything will turn out right. We don't have faith that, well, I've done enough good things, God's going to let me into heaven. I don't have that kind of faith. I don't have the faith that 
God's just going to take care of everything because, just because. We don't have faith that I'll be healed. We have faith in Jesus. We have faith in His promises. The reason why we can believe God and know that He's going to work everything out for His purposes, for good, is because of Jesus. We put our faith directly in Jesus, who He is, what He has done for us. That is where our faith is. See, our testimony, as Paul's testimony, and it should be this, our testimony is an example of Jesus' patience. It's an example um, that we were not given death and punishment for our sins, but we were provided opportunities over and over and over again to repent and to place our faith in Him. See, our own testimony, as much as that's true, our own testimony is not the full gospel, but it is, the full gospel is Jesus. Towner, the guy I mentioned earlier, read, read some stuff from him about this. He, he says this, that faith must be in Christ, and the gospel is about Jesus, not about us. So when we, what we do is we take our testimony, and we say, look, my testimony, it's not the gospel, but it's an example of the gospel at work. My, my testimony of how Jesus saved me, that's an example of Jesus' patience. It's an example of His grace. It's an example of His mercy that I didn't receive death, that I wasn't punished, but I received grace because of Jesus. So then it opens up to the, well, what's this all about? Tell me about this, Jesus. What is this? What's going on here? How come your life has been so changed? How come your life has been so transformed? Jesus. Jesus, that's why. And my faith is in Jesus. Paul, see, Paul expected others to come through to faith through the witness of the gospel. He expected it. He expected it. This word, this phrase, to those who were to believe in him, is a, is a phrase. Uh, I, I kind of looked this up, and it's really kind of awkward to say, but it's those who are going to believe in him and, or are in the process of believing in him. It's interesting. Paul expected, Paul expected the gospel to transform lives, families, and communities. That's what we're all about. That's what the River Church is all about. We want to see people change. Change the way God wants them to change. See, this, this gospel that, that Paul wants us to be faithful witnesses to, he says in, in Acts, well, he didn't say, but the, the, uh, the apostles, the disciples said this in Acts, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Our testimony is that Jesus is the only way of salvation. He's the only way of salvation. And then look what he does. He just breaks out in praise. He says, to the king of ages, this is, this is no earthly king. This is God I'm worshiping. He is immortal. He is this immortality. He lived forever. The sole quality of God. And the only way we're going to live forever is because God is going to enable us to live forever. Because God has created us to live forever. We, he is invisible, he says. His, this, is, this is a characteristic of God. It's not the pagan gods. The pagan gods are the gods around us. The god of, of work. The god of, vehicle, of, of new cars. The god of um, fancy houses. The god of whatever it is that we can see and touch and, and experience. That's not God. He's an invisible God. 
And He's the only God. He is supreme. He is, he, this, is this is from Deuteronomy 6. A hero Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. He's the only God. High and supreme above all else. And honor and glory goes to Him. See, our testimony is also that God is supreme over all things and infinitely worthy of our praise. Infinitely worthy of our praise. If we don't grasp the greatness of God, I think our gospel is a little bit weak. If it doesn't say how depth, how, how, how deep our sin is, and it doesn't say how immensely and awesomely glorious God is, and how He is great far above anything that we could possibly comprehend, then our gospel is not good enough. This was Paul's gospel. His gospel was that I am the worst sinner. And God is great above anything I can possibly comprehend. That's our gospel. We celebrate the gospel by bearing faithful witness to that very fact. But we celebrate the gospel finally, finally, by engaging in spiritual battle. Let's see, let's, let's just work through this um, fairly quickly. When he says, when Paul says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, Paul is, is going back to that charge from verse 3, when he says, charge them not to teach any different doctrine. Confront the false teachers. He's reminding Paul, Timothy once again to confront the false teachers, and he says that it's going to be like this. It's going to be like war. That's what it's going to be like. It's warfare. This confrontation is actually warfare. It's not a warfare against other people in as much as it's spiritual warfare. Paul wrote this this to the Ephesians. He said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There are spiritual forces that we're fighting against. Our, Our battle is a spiritual battle. And that is what we are to be engaged in. And look what Paul says to engage with. He says, engage with this. Remember your calling. Remember who you are. Remember your identity. And, and remember that because there are going to be times when you're going to be going through difficult circumstances and you're going to be thinking, maybe I need a new identity. Maybe, maybe I don't want to be faithful to Jesus. Maybe it would be better to, to change to something else. Folks, that's what our brothers and sisters in, in Muslim world are having to do. They're facing that very question. Am I going to remember my calling? Am I going to remember my identity with Jesus? Or am I going to say I'm going to abandon that and I'm going to convert? For others around the world, that's what they're dealing with. For us, we may think, well, I'm not really dealing with that. But every day we have a choice whether to walk in Christ and in our identity with Jesus or to walk in our own way. And he says this. He says, you need to hold faith and good conscience. So here's faith again. He keeps bringing up this idea. And once again, this is representing the trust that he has in God, the relationship that that 
horizontal, is that right? No, that vertical relationship, that vertical relationship that he has with God, that he needs to cultivate that relationship with God. Hold on to that. Cultivate it. Devote yourself to it. And then he says a good conscience. Here, we, here again, we see good conscience. He mentions good conscience in the early verses. It's a decision to move from faith to action. Our intentions don't really count. But Paul's saying, look, you've got your faith. Hold on to it. Cultivate it. And then act on it. Act on it. Timothy was going to need that. He was going to need his relationship with Jesus. Uh, also in, in Ephesians chapter 6, after he talks about our, our spiritual fight, and he actually goes into that, that very familiar passage about the armor of God, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all the perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me. Pray for me, he says, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul's spiritual battle was, was, was in effect because, he, doggone it, he wanted to tell people about the gospel. He wanted to tell people about Jesus. And anytime you decide, you know what, I want to be more faithful in telling people about Jesus, guess what, we're going to be in a spiritual battle. Because then we're going to have to be engaged in a battle for the truth, and then we're going to have to be engaged with people who are deceived by believing lies. They don't want to hear it. And there's, a, there's going to be a battle. Our relationship with God, though, Paul's faith and his good conscience, that are his relationship with God through prayer and the Bible, that's, our, that's one of our greatest spiritual weapons. We, keep, we, we stay in our relationship with God through prayer. We read the Word daily. We get into it. We spend time in a discipling group with other you know, men getting together in, in small groups and and encouraging each other, and women doing the same, and we have our missional communities, which are larger family groups. We get into those. We stay in the Word. We stay in prayer. We fight the battle. Well, Paul says that there were some who made shipwreck of their faith. They ruined their faith. And he mentions these two names, Hymenaeus and Alexander, and he says, I handed them over to Satan. Well, he's really describing that last, that last step of of, of spiritual discipline or church discipline that says, look, you guys aren't listening. You're not repenting. You're not changing. God has made it clear what he expects from us in his word. And you're, you're not being reconciled to him. You're not being reconciled to other people. You're not repenting. So you need to be removed from the protection of the church. Wow. And they're removed. That means they're just going to be left to their own devices. And in effect, if to, for, to, for Satan to have his way with them, because they are they have completely abandoned the truth. This is not just this is not just hey this is what happened to these people. It's really a warning to all of us. Look, hold to the faith, hold to the faith, and remember remember Paul's charge. The aim of our charge is love. Paul didn't say, you know what? I hate those guys. Let's get rid of them. He didn't say, these two are troublemakers, let's get them out of here. His goal was to speak the truth in love to them. His goal was that they be come to repentance, that they be reconciled, that they come back into the church, back into right belief, back into right practice. 
It's not a, it wasn't a way to manipulate them to do what he wanted them to do. It's what, it's what God had called them to do as a church, to be holy and to be protected from disunity, to be protected from sin of unbelief growing in the church. It was a spiritual battle, and it was meant to be fought by means of the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul says again in 2 Corinthians, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against or according to the flesh. For our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Remember, um, spiritual battle means we hold tight to our belief in God and His ways. We hold on to them because that's where the power comes from. Remembering our calling. Remembering it that Jesus who makes, us, who makes us powerful. It's God who gives us power. We recognize the grace of Jesus. We recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that His grace is greater than anything we could imagine. We, re, we, we celebrate this gospel. We, we bear faithful witness. We bear, bear faithful witness to what God has done in our own lives about how great He is. We celebrate this gospel by engaging in spiritual battle. It is worth it. It is worth it. The gospel, if I could sum up this whole passage in, in one uh, set of phrases, in one sentence, the gospel is the amazing story of God's great grace in sending Jesus to save us and call us to his service. And it is worth celebrating and sharing with others. Let's pray. Father, God, Father, I thank you so much for your message to us this morning. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you. God, I thank you for your calling on us. God, that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, we love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? We're going to have a song playing in just a moment. But I wanted to, I want to ask you uh, to reflect on these things. As you're standing, go ahead, go ahead and stand. How much of your life, how much of, of your life are you living in your own power, under your own control? What would it take to commit in prayer to allow God to have control over every area of your life? To help you rely on His power. Think about this question. Are you doing anything to seek God's approval? Because mm, if I don't do this, God may not like me enough. He may not love me enough. Uh, is there something in your life that you have done that you're afraid that uh, God's not going to love me for this? He's not going to approve of me because I'm, I'm too messed up? You know, No one could ever love me for that. Can you see this morning and ask him to show you how much God has done for you in Jesus? Yet, ask yourself this question, especially those of you who are walking faithfully with Christ and are, are believers. With whom are you sharing your testimony that Jesus is the only way of salvation? That Jesus is the one who has saved you? Who are you sharing with? Commit to pray with those people. Commit to pray for those people every day. How is your life how is your life of prayer and, and Bible reading? Do you have a practice of that? It's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. 
It's not just for pastors to do. It's not just for Bible teachers to do. It's for everybody. It's for everyone to have a life of prayer and, and being in the Word. Ask God to give you that power to cultivate that. Commit to meeting with, hey, commit to meeting with a discipling group each week. Commit to meeting with, um, if you're a man, commit to meeting with one or two other men every week. If you don't have somebody to meet with, find somebody. Women that say the same thing to you. Commit to doing that. Engage in the spiritual battle. We're going to listen to the song. Um, Olivia's going to come up and, and lead us in our singing uh, as we do that. And I'm just going to stand off to the side here. If there's something you, you want, if there's a way you want to respond to the message this morning, any way at all, um, come forward and, and allow me a chance to pray with you and encourage you and um, allow us as a church to encourage you as well. Let's see.